We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Arsenal breeze into the semifinal of the Europa League where they will face a club that will certainly attempt to be protagonists. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Unai Emery's protagonists wait for us in the semifinal of the Europa League. Uh, he will indeed want to be the protagonist, uh, although all evidence, having watched him coach football to the contrary, should be an interesting one. And I will assure you that um, Arsenal will emerge triumphant. And the reason I say that is if they don't, I can't bear to exist on this planet. So... No pressure, Mikel. No pressure, players. No pressure, Arsenal. You have to beat Unai Emery's Villarreal in the semifinal. I will encourage you, those those of you who are not uh, on the social media all that much, don't look at the trends and things like that. Uh, Paul Pogba woke up today and chose violence. And uh, I'm here for it because he burned Jose Mourinho to the ground with his quotes. And if you want to go find them, you can, but they are uh, quite lovely. And watching Jose Mourinho uh, go into a death spiral, a negative spiral, to use the parlance of that club, uh, yeah, is something. So, uh, I do want to thank everyone who joined us for the pre-match live stream yesterday. I, I think all of you are responsible for helping us create the positive energy, positive vibes. It gives me the endorphins uh, needed to get through this uh, quarterfinal quite easily, I might add, quite wonderfully, and we're looking forward to talk about that. So, thanks those of you who joined. And uh, you got to see what a lawnmower 3.0 looks like. So, there was that bonus as well. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. I'll pause. Woohoo! How are you feeling, bud? You got your second jab? Are you uh, are you I had, Yes, yesterday afternoon, straight after the game, got my second jab. Felt pretty good. Got a bit of a sore arm. Went to bed. Very, very, very sore arm. Mm. Aches and pains. Took some paracetamol, as we say in the morning before I, I the would paracetamol. Have 
your sore arm was related to rewatching the performance against Prague, if you know what I mean, huh? Yes, no? my okay. my fist in the air along with the boys. I kept it up for like five hours. Tim's on Twitter. It's Roberto. Hello, Tim. <laughs> hello there. And Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. I've got Clive triggered pre-match, so we're all set and ready for that. I'm going to start with this, and I'm not going to give anybody else a chance on it. I'm just going to say it quickly. Uh, we want to wish our best and get well soon to the captain of Arsenal, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who has malaria. Uh, not a laughing matter. And one where I could say, look, mea culpa. I speculated that he was not sick, and I was wrong, and it was bad form. Um... Saying that he had the flu threw me off, but I admit scars of the Mesodozo situation, the, the discipline in the derby, not starting him against Slavia Prague, and I put two and two and two and two together and got 222 or 2,222, and it was wrong. And I think what I'm learning, while I am someone who wears my heart on my sleeve and you know I'll say what's on my mind, there are times when you have a platform where you communicate your opinions that you say, you know what, this is an opinion for the back channel on WhatsApp or for a buddy on text message and not one you need to throw out there. So it was probably reckless speculation. Um, born out of out of what probably is a, a mistrust of the club that I could probably interrogate myself in terms of why I've arrived at that point. But the important thing is that Aubameyang is quite ill with a, a serious illness, and I, I hope he's on the mend and will get better and will play for us. The good news is it means that there probably is no issue between him and the club, which is good for everyone, good for the player, good for the club, and good for us as fans. So my apologies for uh, what is what is bad form and something that I I could probably tighten up there. So. Let's be done with that, and let's move on to what was a fantastic game uh, to watch, a fantastic game tactically, one that I think suits our podcast, where we like to get way up our own butts on tactical analysis, and this is one where uh, the the butt is available for our heads to go up. So I, uh, with that with that clever and disgusting and, and quite unsettling intro out of the way, um, I will start with you, Paul, since you did not get to be on the instant reaction. No, I didn't. Um, we've had quite a debate, uh, both on mm. the instant reaction and yeah. in WhatsApp, about what this system or what this formation really is. And I think there's some fluidity to it. But for me, as you know, the real special sauce here is moving away from the double pivot, the player next to party and getting one more high value player onto the pitch in a, in a Smith row or in a Ceballos that can link in those half spaces up the pitch with the forward. So how do you feel about the, the team he picked and that, that sort of new tweak that we first saw against Sheffield United and then saw again last night of eliminating the double pivot and, and adding an extra player who can be more linked to the attack. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've been debating what you call that formation. I think the problem is it's not static, so it's a lot of things. For The thing that catches the eye with me is that it, for large periods of the game, it looks like a 4-2-4 almost with with Party and Sabias on the slant. And then Sabias is doing lots of interesting things. He's going out to the left to link up with Chaka. After the Smithrow almost goal, uh, while they're looking at VAR, Arteta's uh, agitated, talking to Ceballos about whatever his role is and what he's doing. And when you look at what he's doing, um, he's beside party at one moment, and then we get up the pitch into the box. Like, I think it's on the, it might be the Saka shot. Um, uh, Ceballos is ahead of him. Like, he's the most forward player in the box. And so time after time, he's bombing up to join the attack. Um, but the other thing I noticed with this, the way we played this game, Sheffield United and the free, previous Prague game, is you will see time and time again a line of four attackers, like like Jets weaving 
in an air display running up the pitch. And it seems like a two and two. And in this game to the left, a little bit like Lacazette's touches are all on the left. He's not always on the left, but um, he's over with Pepe. The two lads are over on the right. Um, it's very fluid. I think that's our, our word of the back channel. And because Sabias is like a slider, he goes out to the left and he goes up with the attack. And sometimes it looks like we have three in midfield because Saka dips a little bit and now you got party behind them. But for me, it's a four, a wonky four, two, three, one. But that four is often a straight line, just running up the pitch, two and two either side. And uh, it's very, very fun to watch. And we've kind of see it. We didn't have the finishing in in this game, this first game of a set of three, but they all had variations on a team, slightly different players. Uh, but to me, it's it's fun, exciting. He's he's stumbled on something. Um, I kind of feel he's now at a point where he says, get the ball to the attack and let them weave their stuff. And I'm not going to be overly prescriptive. Uh, you guys find each other, work with each other. But you definitely see him telling Sabias to get his arse up the pitch and into the box or on the edge of the box with them um, while he's not going left to help out Chaka. It was a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah, well, Clive, I I think this is your chance to just tell me how wrong I am about the way I see football. No, we just see differently. But, but well, I mean, that. you can't see. You, there's only one thing happening on the pitch that you can, the players are where they are. No, I mean, look uh, – Smith Rowe is a really, really important part of this performance for me, as is Lacazette. We should mention Lacazette, uh, for all of his great contributions on the pitch, uh, starts the whole thing with a great contribution of getting right into the center circle, taking a knee, uh, and then proceeding to help kick the racist out of the Europa League. So, things you love to see, it. Um, but, Clive, as, as far as those positions, you know, look, we'll get on to Shaq in a bit. I don't want to focus on that here, but... It strikes me as though, you know, when we were playing the four two three one, Odegaard had a, a big responsibility to cover a lot of the space between the lines. But what we did is we put a guy like Smith Rowe on the left and let him drift in central. And those two guys could kind of connect to really only two front players in Saka and Lacazette or Saka and Aubameyang. Here, you're doing it with, with those two eights, in my view, Ceballos and, and Smith Rowe. And that lets you have that extra attacking player to get in behind, which Pepe and, and Saka did time and time again. So I guess I'm, I don't, I think we agree in one thing, right? Call, trying to call out formations. Oh, it's 4-3-3. Oh, it's a 3-3-3-1. Oh, it's a 3-5-2. Like those don't matter because the formation changes depending whether you have the ball or you don't have the ball or you're in the first phase of buildup or you're in the third, you know, you're, you're already up the pitch. But in terms of the roles, I think that's what I'm interested in. And and maybe you can just sort of expand on what Paul said in terms of especially what Smith Rowe was doing, but but that Smith Rowe, Ceballos, Party trio. Yeah, I think in your, the way we differ, Elliot, is mm. that you, you, you think that's a trio. Well, I don't. I think it's Smith Rowe, Saka, and Chambers is a th- is a trio. Interesting. Okay. On yeah. on the right diamond, on the right triangle. Sorry, and Pepe, Sabayas, and Lacazette on the left side. That that's what's happened when we have the ball. Right? Yeah. So, okay. No, that that's actually yes. I agree with that. That's, so that's a better way. So to I, put I know we. It. And I know then party gets going. central midfield kind of to himself though. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So when we have the ball, we're looking to build up with that triangle, and we do some rotations and movement, and we get the third man running in, and off we go to the races, right? So central player Lacazette and um, 
and party more or less centralist. So Lacazette did lean over to the to the Pepe side a little bit more in this game. And so when I look at a system, I look at the things that are not moving. Right. So Paul hit him. So normally we lift we lift a full back out a lot. It's normally Tierney and he disappears up the street. Right. So Shaq is not doing that. He's staying at home. Right. So he's saying oh, that's good. If somebody rocks round, it's going to be Chambers. He doesn't disappear to the corner flag. He just rocks up into the midfield line and sometimes underlaps. And we flip to a back three. That was more prevalent against Sheffield United. In this game, we're Europe, right? We don't want to concede. So Chambers was a little bit less ambitious until the game was done, right? So so there were immovable blocks there. So you, I, if you look at the system as it was probably designed, you have like a back four diamond and you have your triangles on the outside, both sides. And you have your central block, you probably tell, these are the principal side by which you're playing. You have your central player in party. He knows he's got one man ahead. If he's under pressure, you have people come to you when you're under pressure. When you're not under pressure, you have people go away from you. These are just classic football principles, right? So Smithrow does it really cleverly. He always goes. He, he I think he sees pressure of the person on the ball so well. Mm. And he reads it. And if he knows and he reads his players, and he says, okay, I know what he's going to do. I'm going, bang, off he goes. right? And, he, and then when he thinks, oh, I'm not sure if he's got it under control, I'll go and help him out. I'll drop in here, bang, here go, feet, lay off, off he goes again, second phase. I really like the the internal knowledge of each other. I really enjoyed that. Um, Biffro did what, I think he might have set up the penalty goal, didn't he? Upset and through, upset. Mm-hmm, yep. Chambers drop, dropped over the top. Smith Rowe runs in third man run, crosses it back to Saka, and Saka gets the penalty. Classic football stuff. Classic football stuff. And and so yeah, I, I don't. I'm not really concerned about the system per se. You know, Sheffield was was easier to read than this one was. This one wasn't a game after 20, 30 minutes. It was a bit more of a free-for-all. Can I get a goal? Can I smash these lot? Can we get seven? Do you know what I mean? And so, let, but there are some immovable blocks here. And, and it's that back four, the slight increase in movement of Chambers, party's role, it didn't change. You know, and and I just I just like the, the problem solving by the manager, really. And I love what Paul said, apart from the word when he said Arteta stumbled on it, because I, I don't think he did. I think he designed it, and I think he's worked better than what he thought. I think Shaka surprised him. Shaka's passing seems to have added another 20, 30 yards on it. I don't know where that's come from. And uh, the rest is more players in form. You know, Pepe, mm. you know, Smith-Rowe, every time I think he's going to struggle with health, he turns out and does a... Spurs performance on us you know where, where does this come from you know he's, yeah he's wonderful so that's what that's how I see it man I know what you're getting I know you're going with your 4-3-3 head on but I don't think we're quite there yet don't no probably not and, and I mean to be fair I like the way you describe it more as those wide triangles and and I think especially it's interesting how this system was actually even a little different than the way we used it against Sheffield United because again Sheffield United we had 33 or 34 zone 14 touches, that zone center top of the box. And in this game, we had like 13 or 14 because we attacked on the outside, passed their pressure, passed their higher line. Um, so similar systems in appearance, but emphasizing different ways of attacking the opposition. And I love that. I love when you can solve different problems with the same kind of setup. And I, I think the wide triangle thing is absolutely right. And there's no question, look, what is it designed to do? It's designed to make up for that tierney-shaped hole on the left. So Shaka can sit back. You put Ceballos in there instead. And then you wind up with 
Ceballos and Party and Lacazette drifts over to form that triangle, and you wind up with, as you said, Chambers, Saka, and Smith Rowe on that triangle. And that's probably why you get a little bit less of that zone 14 touch, because you're you're not really sticking anyone in the center. Um but either way, it worked, and it's great to see. I mean, whether you want to call it a 4-3-3 or a 3-this-that or a 2-5-this or whatever you want to call it, um, I think it's a really interesting variation that lets us have a, an extra goal-scoring, goal-creating player on the pitch in the absence of Tierney, who is a really important part of the way we do that. And so, Tim, let's let's get a little bit more into... Can, can I throw in one quick thing? I would love it if you would. Yes, please. Um, 15 seconds. Uh, it's, it's on Clive's thing about the two fullbacks. What was really interesting was Chaka, <laughs> time and time again, elected to not attack up his wing, and he mm-hmm. just ping it straight across, as only Chaka can with the left foot, onto Chambers, and we'd attack up that side. And it's kind of like, you know, we made our choices. This is the wing we will progress on, and uh, Chambers is the man kind of thing. It's funny, he had one really terrible sort of quintessential Shaka bad giveaway in this game. Um, yeah. And it was, I think if I remember it correctly, he was actually caught a little bit higher up than he had been most of the game. But mm. I, I do think he's a player that the, the deeper he sits and the more he can see the pitch in front of him and can mm. organize and instruct and, and play longer, straighter balls. I, I think that suits him. Um, Tim Smith Rowe though. I, I want to dig into that performance just a little bit more. It's, you know, he mm-hmm. and Odegaard are not, the same kind of player. They just aren't, even though at times they've had what we might view as similar roles in this team. But I thought this was a sensational performance by Smith Rowe. Uh, obviously, his his role in the goal with uh, that Pepe scores is phenomenal footwork. His movement and, and interpretation of, of the play and reading the game to get in for the goal that's taken away from him. We finally saw a replay later in the game, and it was inches away from being onside. You know, that's that second man run. He has a mm-hmm. really interesting ability to cover a lot of the pitch really effectively. I mean, I, I we we tend to call that Ramsey-esque whenever anybody does it, but yeah. it, it it is a little bit of that because you know we we see him drop in when we first regain possession to connect the play and to help pull defenders away, but then there he is at the very end of moves. So he he is that rare player that it seems like he can he can cover large swaths of the pitch and be as influential when he's dropping deep as he is when he gets right under the very end of moves in the box. Yeah, exactly. That it, it's Ramsey plus um, mm. really, which is, which is one of the highest uh, compliments I can give a player. I think it's definitely uh, better cross control. With the ball went, I went wow in my head. Cause I know what Tim thought of Ramsey. So I want to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is because Ramsey, Ramsey did um, Ramsey did a lot of good things. I think, I think he was, you know, very good on the ball, et cetera, et cetera. But he was absolutely wired to attack that box. That, mm. that was what he really, really wanted. Smith throw, can do that and I've said several times and I said it on the instant reaction you will see that more and more this boy can score and he can score because he can make that that third man run to the penalty spot or the edge of the area and pick up the bits and pieces as he did for the goal that was disallowed he can also score the curler the the goal he nearly got against Tottenham on his left foot by the way that's another thing about him he he'll shoot with either foot and that will get him plenty of goals we're seeing how much how much um Saka's had an uptick in final uh in final in end product rather and a lot of that's because he's willing to use his right foot now he's worked on that because um yeah you know you, when the when the ball comes to you 
you need to be able to work with it um, on either foot. But the, I think what Smith Rowe also has is he does that all over the pitch, as you suggest, Elliot. It's not, I, I don't, this kind of sounds critical of Ramsey when I don't want it to be, when I say like, it's not just about the end product. I mean, that's the most important part, but he will, he will do that in the center circle. He goes off to the flanks and does that. I, I think that he's growing into one of the most important players in this team. And I just think when he plays well, Arsenal play well, and it's that simple. Um, and in fact, when he play, even when he drops a six or seven out of 10, Arsenal look better. Um, and that is partially because of his talent and his ability, but it's also just the type of player he is. We're talking about all of these, all of these systems, both of these systems, and he can play pretty much anywhere in that. All right. He, maybe he can't play center forward, but there isn't really a role you can't see him taking. Like he can play wide. He can he can go and play as one of the eights. If we just go with the four two three one, he can play as the ten. He can play as the left forward, the right forward. Like he he is kind of one of those players who, I mean maybe maybe a bit like um I don't know David Silver or someone like that. Like you you'd say that David Silver was the left eight at City, but really what position did he play? I mean, it's it's difficult to define, and it's kind of the same with Smith Rowe. Wherever you start him, wherever you say your his starting position is, the reality is he buzzes all over the place. He creates connections. He gives um, exit, like he gives exit and entry. Um, mm. So he'll he'll go and pick the ball up, and he'll move it on in a positive way. And some of his some of his running down the flanks as well is is really really powerful. He has such a good burst. He's he's perhaps not. Um, lightning over a long distance but he doesn't have to be I, I really don't think you have to be when you're a forward um, particularly when you play for a team like Arsenal and most teams aren't going to come out anyway they're going to sit in really it's about those those early yards and that's what we saw in Freddie Jungberg for example that's that's another that's probably another player that in some scenarios you could compare Smithrow to just that that quick switch, that quick get the shoulders turned and off he goes over 10 yards. And and again, he doesn't just do that in the penalty area. He does that all over the pitch. And he, he, he basically, he just makes the pitch a lot bigger and he creates a lot of those connections, those triangles we're talking about. And um, it's, it's almost like having, um, I, I'm thinking of, um, I can't remember what those machines, they're not machines, but there's like little training aids. They're like little nets that you can use for shooting practice where mm. you just throw the ball on the net and it just kicks the ball up for you so you can practice volleying um, and things like that. Like It's like having one of those um, just like strategically positioned around the pitch for you or when you're playing five a side. Um, or power league and and you know you can do that thing where the ball doesn't go out of play so you use the sideboard uh to go around someone it, it's kind of like that it's, it's just like a, a kind of a facilitator all mm-hmm. over the pitch yeah and, and and that that's the thing he's bought immediately and the thing he is going to bring is goals as well and um you know the, my only worry with smith Rowe is that hip um, particularly because of the type of quite explosive player he is. That, to me, is the only thing that, that can really hold him back. But I, I will say that I think he'll get into double figures for goals next season. Yeah, and, and look, the only small pushback I'll, I'll give you on the Ramsey Plus is, to be Ramsey Plus, he's going to have to add some sensational finishing, right? Because yep. that is that is the thing about Aaron Ramsey is he didn't just score goals, he scored some sensational goals. I, I think about you know end-to-end moves that he would start and finish. Um you know, yeah, yeah. against was it Fulham the back heel goal 
the back flip yep. goal for Unai Emery's Arsenal, no less. Um, so yeah, I mean he he and and the thing is, you could see Smith Rowe being in all the positions for those moves, and and just add, he just needs to add the finish. And yeah, I, I look, I don't, I I totally agree with everything he said, and I just think to be Ramsey plus now he just has to add the goals, and they're definitely there. Um, Paul, a, another player who definitely has goals, but maybe we had been concerned about his finishing lately is Bukayo Saka. No mm-hmm. such concerns on this occasion. Um, the Slavia Prague keeper, for some reason, decided to say, here is the entire near side of my goal. Please shoot at it. And he did. Thank you very much. He also curls one beautifully that nearly results in the goal, but it's offside, unfortunately. Um, I think, you know, Saka is a player that we have already just come to accept is sort of elite, but it's when he was in a bit of a, a run of bad form by his standards, at least in front of goal, it's easy to forget just how far he's come and how quickly he's come. And we sort of take performances like this for granted. But in this tie, he was the guy that really seemed to put the shits up Slavia Prague. Um, it's good to see him get the goal. I mean, for you, the the poise he showed in the box in this game, is that sort of a harbinger of better things to come, coming off maybe a little bit of a a run of of being a little less confident in front of goal? Yeah, I think a lot of people came out of that Prague game, or a few anyway, um, the first one thinking uh, we needed to hammer those shots home. I mean, we saw Lacazette in the Sheffield United game where he gets his chance one-on-one with the keeper and he bangs it first time. He goes the other way. It's almost like a guy who missed a penalty one one week, uh, works on his penalties during the week and then goes the other way and emphatically, you know, he doesn't blink. He's, he's mentally prepared for this. And I think to some degree, uh, you know, that's chafed Saka that, that he didn't put Prague to the sword the first time around. And they came into this, you know, lots of shooting practice uh, with Saka from coming in from the right. And, you know, he, he didn't hesitate. Um, I think on the Smith Rowe thing, there's such an interesting combo. But Smith Rowe's tap in that ends up being offside, you know, it's one of those. It's not a tap in if you had to run the length of the pitch, get in the box, and be ahead of the ball to be there for it. And that's yep. how Ramsey actually gets most of his goals. Most most of Ramsey's goals weren't thunder bastards or incredible genius. It, he was the guy who did the thing. That's why I think Smith Rowe will get all Willock's minutes or should get all his minutes because he does everything and he gets all the way into the box and he's there for it. And those two guys just weave patterns. Uh, I think like Smith Rowe, Saka can play almost anywhere. In fact, he's already playing almost anywhere in, in the front. They could be your two eights in the future and that would be delicious. Saka can be a ten. Uh, we've seen that he can play off either wing, um, and the two players that uh, just stay fit, young man, just stay fit, because those two guys, um, you know, you wouldn't go far wrong if the first thing you did was put those two fellows on the team sheet. You just need to work out where, depending on who else is available. Um, Saka was exceptional in this. His understanding, and again to Clive's point, the chamber, like Chambers, is great in this. He fires that ball. That that uh, that flick, uh, Lacazette does. Uh, is it on the goal that Smith Rowe does the double nutmeg? Um, but he fires it into Lacazette, who first times it, I think, to Saka, and like just that side of it, uh, Lacazette so quick at the moment, 
and like just get three of those guys together. It can be Chambers, Saka, Smith, Rowe. It can be Lacazette, Saka, Smith, Rowe. Pick your pick, and they'll they'll light you up. Yeah, there's definitely something there though between. Smith Rowe and Saka, right? I mean, I, you know, yeah. I don't know if it comes from having been through the academy together. Maybe that's an over oversimplification. Maybe it's just Smith Rowe's preference for drifting over to the right. But they they link together in a way that maybe isn't as true of of Odegaard and Saka. And Odegaard being left footed and, and Smith Rowe being right footed might be a part of that. I mean, do you have a sense of you know the the nature of that partnership? Maybe it being a better partnership for Saka. Um, I mean, I think they're all so good. They'll make it work. Those two guys have, have too much fun together, though, Smith, Rowe, and Saka. There's something special there. I, they ruined the moment with with the uh, the the VAR offside thing because the two guys go into a slide into the far corner. And it's just kind of like you can just see the two of them. They're having so much fun playing together. Um, I'm sure Odegaard can catch up to that. But, yeah, those guys have a uh, – there's something special going on between them. Well. They love playing together. Odegaard's like a connect everybody and you know but those two guys can play with everybody but they particularly thrive you know what was the difference between this game and the previous Prague game I, I know people will will come up with different things and they'll talk about Willian but actually I think it was actually getting those two guys together on the same side it, it was less important that it was Pepe instead of Willian on the other side. That wasn't the difference in oh, this game. You, you've been dying to get on the pod to say that, have you? But why you no, got to defend be- your boy, Willian? We, we the- were doing so well. We weren't arguing, and now you got to defend your boy, Willian. It was Elliot, all Pepe. It was all Pepe. Your listening skills. <laughs> I, uh, no, they're not very po- good. I, just, I heard you say Willian, and it wasn't in a negative light, yeah. and I had to jump in. <laughs> my point is, if we covered that side of the screen on the left, it wouldn't have made much difference to where the magic came from, which was all on the right, and the right was because Smithrow and Saka. Uh, don't get me wrong, Pepe was great. Uh, I'm not saying they are equal on the left. My point is, the magic between this game and the previous Prague game is putting Smithrow and Saka on the same side. Yeah, no, I I do agree with that. I just, I have to, I in the contract, it says right here, we'll... <laughs> Reject any comments that indicate that Willian is not a complete negative. Um, well, look, let's. Um, since you mentioned him, I, you know what, Clive, I want to give you, I want to give you a chance to talk about Thomas Party because I, I, I think that you have a special bond with him, and I think he was very good. And so that way we can we can pause on Pepe just a minute and and, and throw that one over to Tim. But you know, I mean, Thomas Party has been given a very interesting role in the last two games. It's a little bit different from what he's had prior to that, but. I think this was an important night for Party because in the first leg, he had a, he had a shocker, right? I mean, he just happened to have one of those nights where everything was wrong for him, and he couldn't have turned it around any better than he did in this game. It is an interesting game, right? Because we kill it so early, and then it's kind of a nothing game after that. But it was not a game of being in a lot of possession and building the play patiently, slowly, picking them apart. It was a game for win the ball back, turn defending into attacking quickly, and short short passing moves to create goals like that. That was really the type of game it was. And I, I sometimes feel that actually that's a really good, that game suits party. And, you know, for as much as he, he had a bad game in the first leg, you still see him, you know, like, and you saw it against Sheffield United too, right? He can get the ball, turn defense into attack, 
set up an attack like he does for that that beautiful Lacazette goal against Sheffield United. Do you think that this is the kind of game he he loves to play in, where you just got to go win the ball and, and start a counterattack quickly, as opposed to the you know sort of thirty pass moves, high volume passing? I sometimes think maybe Granite Shaka is better suited to run the midfield in those games where you're going to have a hundred passes and games like this suit party perfectly. So what sort of answer do you prefer to watch? The ones this, that this cut one through pref- teams pref- and score <laughs> four goals or the ones that give you four million passes in a nice little horseshoe shape when you're posting pass maps into the WhatsApp with nothing in Objection, the Objection, your right? honor, leading leading the witness. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, it's just nice watching these players develop. Um, you know, Paul touched on, well, Tim touched on Smith Rowe, and I, I, I know Tim's a fan of Ramsey, and I'm, I know what he means by Ramsey Plus because he can do things in more spaces on the Five, pitch. we all have our favorites. I mean, you can say yeah. Party's your favorite. Obviously, Paul no, has no, Willian. No. I, I like there's players that come to my eye easily. You missed my joke. There are, some, there are some that I have to struggle with, and I listen to people like yourself and Tim who have a different view of a player and I, and I, I absorb it. Right. Mm. So when Tim says that I'm listening, I know what he thinks. And, um, so players like party now, that, that's easy for me because it's like, what, what do you, there are bad games. And there are bad games. There are games where you get rinsed by your opponent mm. and you're running, you're running all over the place. And you think, Oh my God, I've just seen a ceiling. And there are games where you play five passes at, into the seats, but you're still a good player. You just had a bad passing day. Right, so I saw the reaction to to party's bad game. It's like, oh, well, again, we're so scarred by the past, spending money. We want to spend money, but when we do, oh my god, this is a problem. We have a bad game. It was just a bad game on timing, on decisions, on trying too hard without support. I felt he was holding on to it too long, and he got caught. And so it was just a few things that that. Um, Joining, uh, collided with each other, and, and they took him off. Great, it's not a problem. It's good. it's not a problem for me because every time I look at him in the middle of our team, I feel better. When players have got the ball, he does a beautiful thing where he hides behind people and then comes out, creates a lane late, then receives it in space and then goes. His ability to see the game is nice. It's like he's got. He wants to hurt people. So he, when you look at the TV, you're thinking if you play it there. That black guy's going to run through. If you play it square, they can squeeze onto us. We might end up going backwards. But if you play it there, that's the one. Can you do it? And then he does it. Right? Or he attempts to do it. Sometimes they don't get there. But I know when I'm watching, that's the right pass if we want to hurt teams. And it's no coincidence in the last couple of games when he's done that more often that we are on the sprint. We are heading upfield in mass numbers. And we are... I think this has come from, and this is why I, this has come from the back line, because those players know that that three is going to be back there and the one in front. So you're always going to have four back. And so the rest, once they break through the lines, they're going. They're really going for it. That's why Sobias is popping up in certain areas. Smith Rowe is part of the centre forward. If you feel it, do it. We'll recover the ball in, in the central. We'll, we'll sprint after it high up. But that back four... The diamond there is the key. And Party knows what his role is. And he's just sitting there surveying like a skillful policeman, watching and waiting when to step in to create the transitions. When we're building up in slow possession, he plays the difficult pass around the corner and gets us off into the diamonds on either side. And I personally think once he has a 
and I will say this, it's not, it's not to denigrate anybody, but I do think he needs a more agile, faster partner. Mm. It's a bit more bombastic on that Why side. Why do you hate Shaka? <laughs> uh-huh. No, because Shaka's fine. But we have to get, we have to get to opinion, much like Smith Rowe and Saka. The only issue and barrier to their success is overuse. And it's the same for Shaka, it's the same for party. We need somebody else. We need somebody else that's fungible, that can do both roles on, and play with those players on different days. And we get a lot from that player. Right, so overuse is the thing that's going to hurt us. I do not want to see Martelli, Saka, Smith-Rowe overused. I don't want to see party overuse. We're missing for 15 weeks in the season. Mm. Shaka never seems to get hurt, but you know, until, the, until he does, you know, we need somebody else in there so that we can create a, you know, create a much higher floor for this team. So, yeah, I love how he plays. I love, I firmly believe after preseason, he will be the best player of that type in that central zone in the league. Yep. I think he's got more skill, more ability, got a lot of responsibility, and we just need to crowd him with the right people to allow him to show his talent. Yeah, and the funny thing is, Clive, like even in his terrible game in the first leg, it was terrible because he gave the ball away cheaply a bunch of times. But I actually think that, you know, we have to get used to having someone in the middle of the park who is going to try to push the ball between the lines, push it into central spaces, get it in to tricky, tricky areas. Obviously, the more you do that, the more likely you're going to have games where it goes wrong. It's just interesting that in a game we dominate and win comfortably, Thomas Party, who's patrolling the center midfield, in 78 minutes on the pitch, made 30 passes. 30. You know, Granit Xhaka, when he plays central midfield in games we dominate, he he makes 90 passes. And heck, in this game, he made 57 from left back. But Thomas Party still is the one who's doing the things that push you forward, that, that turn defense into attack, that raises the tempo. And I think sort of understanding that role and not expecting him to be both Granit Xhaka and pass, you know, 100 times in a game at 99%, and be Thomas Party, where he carries the ball twenty yards up the pitch and splits, you know, splits the lines and and plays in, you know, teammates in in the good positions to create attacks. Like he only has to do one of those two things, and yeah, and I'd much rather he does the second rather than the latter rather than the former. You know, yeah, we said this the other day, didn't we? There's gonna people are gonna scout us and they're gonna look at Party's role and they're gonna stand on him, and if they do, we need distributors on the back. Mm. and that's what's happened in this game. I thought Party's defensive game was really good in this game. I know it sounds crazy because when they got into our box early on, I thought he was there, he was supportive, you know, good in the air. But actually, it's not a problem for me how we build, as long as we have the ability to build from the back. You know, it doesn't matter who does it. Right? So that's exactly what we said the other week. They're going to stand on him, and then we need Shaka to do his thing. You know, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and, and it's great. And I mean, everyone can have a role. You, you know, your, your role can be different. And I, I think that we... We've had very similar types of central midfielders. Party is a bit of a different one that we probably haven't had in a while. And there's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to see the performance he put in. I, I think he's a very, very good player who just needs to be understood for what he brings to the team. Tim, he's still finding his form to me. Like, this was this was really good. But, like, he's only, he's still basically just back. He's still just joined the team. I yeah. think he'll become much more consistent and we're going to see some absolute uh, lighted-up performances, and he'll score a couple of Thunder Bastards, too. Yeah, so. yeah. I, look, I mean, it, I, I think he's great. And and there, 
the games are a little more uneven because the things he wants to do are a little bit higher degree of difficulty. So yeah. I, I think that's something that we probably have to come to terms with that he's he's doing things that are harder, so they're not always going to come off. Um, yep. Tim, I I want you to lavish praise on Nicola Pepe because I think he <laughs> deserves it, and I think that he is mm-hmm. a player who, because of his price tag, will will probably never be embraced to the degree he should be. But his his flair and his talent... You know, if we're going to say that Thomas Party deserves a pass for sometimes getting it wrong because he's doing higher degree of difficulty stuff, then that goes triple for Nicola Pepe. And it doesn't always come off, and when it doesn't, it looks like his boots are on backwards. But, you know, he... You talk about an important goal. We have a goal ruled out for offside. We're probably always going to win this game, run riot. But, like, it's that moment where you can feel like, oh, no, it's all going to go against us. And just a couple minutes later, there he is scoring the goal to put us back out in front for for real this time and set us on our way. And the thing I love about the goal is he switched on, he stays focused, Smith Rowe is beating guy after guy after guy after guy. He finds a little seam to be available. It's on his weaker foot. There's contact from behind. He holds the guy off with strength. He doesn't go to ground and he finishes, sorry, it's on a stronger foot, obviously. Um, But, you know, he finishes near post confidently with a guy in his back. And I said on the instant reaction pod, Harry Kane would be on the ground screaming at the ref for the penalty. I do I do think that Pepe is is really starting to show the kind of end product that is worth a hell of a lot of money, but forgetting even the money, just worth a hell of a lot of praise and, and importance to the team. You know, and and you know, if there is a switch that that Arteta made for this game from the first leg that I think mattered most, I think it's taking Willian off and putting Pepe on and the more advanced position mm-hmm. he takes up and the way that Slavia Prague had no answer for it. Yeah, 100%. And this, I, I thought it was a smart decision to play him. I, I think at the moment, without Tierney, you have to play Pepe or Martinelli um, on the left for me, because what what have we lost down that side? We've lost, you know, the overlap, the surge, um, as it were. And Pepe, particularly because it's actually his natural side, he's, you know, he's much more comfortable going on the outside because that that's the one thing that the system probably doesn't quite have again naturally it's all um it's all very uh i mean clive's describing it as diamonds and i and i think that's kind of right but you know the diamond goes inside eventually right so there's there's not a lot of kind of certainly down the left flank anyway like chambers getting on the overlap on the right but the one thing it's potentially missing is is a little bit of a surge down the left and that's what pepe provided um last night and uh, i think i tweeted about maybe 10 minutes into the game um i think maybe after the first goal and just before the penalty i just tweeted like we're getting in behind their fullbacks again and again and again and over on the right it was a mixture of smithrow and saka but on the left it was just pepe uh just making those runs again and again and i think he really knew that he had their right back um he he knew it um and i i really think it's something they obviously worked on getting in behind the slavia fullbacks they obviously um, you know, probably looked at them and thought, well, actually, they come inside quite a lot. And therefore, if we make sure we have that kind of threat over near the touchline on the outside. And, and that's what Pepe did uh, for me all afternoon. And so, yep, we saw it with the goal, which actually kind of originates on the right and makes its way over to the left because um, we created that overload and dragged the Slavia team over. And then, you know, for the fourth goal, for example, what happens? He just like he just. Uh, kind of motors down the line, gets to the byline, pulls pulls it back for Lacazette, and gets an assist as well. And that's that's hugely encouraging, and and particularly because we're probably going to be out with, without Tierney for the rest of the season. That now I think just 
should see Pepe get plenty of opportunities. For me, what I would do at the moment is I would play Pepe in all those Europa League games because they're the important ones now. And I'd perhaps give Martinelli the Premier League games um, and have him as the kind of super sub in the Europa League. I think that would be a good way um, of kind of treating his development for the rest of the season so that he gets good minutes um, he can be an impact sub in the bigger games and we can give him those Premier League games with a view to next season. But Pepe, I mean, Pepe's produced pretty well, very consistently in the Europa League anyway. I think I think he leads on on goal contributions in the competition. So, mm. um, and, and, you know, he got the goal in the first leg as well, coming off the right. Like, I, I'm not of the opinion that he must always play on the left now. I think he can play on the right, no problem, particularly in that 4-2-3-1. In this system, I like him on the left just because um, we don't have Tierney. And that's, you know, he. you might remember he played there a couple of times when Tierney had that knock in January, February sort of time. Mm-hmm. And it was Cedric and Pepe on the left. And that was, again, about the fact that I think Arteta just wanted a left footer um, over there to kind of um, to carry that outside threat and and again like I said on the instant reaction pod the the really pleasing thing we've always known that the goals and assists are there we've always known that the the kind of the something out of nothing moments are there what what's been frustrating is you know things like when he lets the ball run under his foot or he takes a heavy touch or something like that and you know me, I don't mind profligate attackers. I kind of think if you're an attacker and you're not profligate in possession or with shooting, it's probably because you're not trying to do anything. Um, but it was more what annoyed me with Pepe were more of the fundamentals, mm-hmm. more of the touch, like 35 yards from goal, 40 yards from goal out on the touchline and things like that. He's he's sharpened up in a lot of respects. And, um, and, and I think you have to give credit to the manager here because I think he's well on his way to adding another, um, you know, another wide forward to his CV who had all the talent in the world was perhaps a bit rough around the ed- edges that, that he's polishing some of the edges off of. Yeah. And he finally looks like he's enjoying his football at Arsenal. Yep. Um, yep. And I think that's a big deal. Because to me, that says, because he hasn't played all the time, he hasn't got all the minutes. It says him and Arteta have an understanding and Pepe thinks his his role is developing and increasing, yeah. even if we're not seeing it all on the pitch yet. They're, they're working together yeah. on stuff. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing about, like, he's still an introvert. But mm. you can still tell when an introvert is happy and when they're not happy. And yeah. I think you could tell in October, November, he, he'd lost himself a bit. He, you know, he hasn't become like a Bamiyang overnight or Ian Wright. He's not this bubbly character. But yeah, I think you're right. I think you get those, you get more satisfied vibes off him at the moment. Well, he goes mm. from hipster, little known player in France who's getting the attention of some people with his, you know, his metrics you know, to sort of becoming well-known, to sort of becoming the trendy transfer rumor, to being the star signing of a huge club in London and arriving with that sort of, you're the star now, here you are, you're the biggest signing of the window, you're the superstar, you're the record signing. I don't, that's not who Pepe to, was. To then becoming emblematic of everything that's wrong at the club. You know, they go, they find a new level on top. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the point is, the talent is there, and we're seeing it more consistently. And I, I, you know, my feeling, guys, people that can, people that can do it in the final third, are worth having and worth playing. And 
we have a lot of them now. And the one thing I do like about the system, however Clive wants to characterize it, or I want to characterize it, or Clive wants to correctly characterize it, or I want to mischaracterize it, um, having that, you know, between Saka and Pepe and Smithrow and Odegaard and Lacazette and Aubameyang and Martinelli, that's where the real talent of this team is. You could throw in parties, certainly, but, you know, the bright future and the big superstar talent is up there. And when you do it this way, where if you don't want to call them twin eights, you don't have to, but when you can get those two extra players there, maybe it winds up being Saka and Smithrow. If Odegaard stays, it could be Odegaard and Smithrow, and you can play Saka and you can play Pepe, and then you can have a striker. Or you can play Martinelli and you can play Saka and you can have a striker. Maybe Martinelli's a striker. Point is, you can you get to use one more of the players that are your really talented players when you set the system up this way. And the issue with that, Paul, and it's one that I think is sort of an interesting issue, is it means moving someone out of central midfield. In this case, Shaka. And in this case, playing him at left back. Now, as Clive and I discussed on the Instant Reaction Pod... When Tierney's back, you're not playing Shaq at left back. You're playing Tierney. But Tierney's going to go occupy the spaces like Ceballos and Pepe did. And so you're going to take one of those out. Shaq did so well in this game. He deserves so much credit. The form he's in right now, the contributions he's making. Look, you can believe that Shaq is a, a limitation on our ceiling as a central midfielder and that we should move on from that and still be incredibly impressed with the run he's on of both durability and performance. And to be dropped into this position and just ab- absorb it in consecutive games and play it brilliantly, he deserves huge credit. Do you what? What do you think of this innovation? Because really, we're playing with a, mm. a back four that has no really natural fullbacks. Chambers is brilliant in, in the role he's taken up, and Shaq is brilliant in the role he's taken up. And neither of them are really prototypical fullback roles, but because of what's happening in front of them, it works. So, do you want to sort of maybe get into a little bit of the dynamic with those fullbacks? Because I don't think either of us would have been saying, "Hey." Bellerin won't be playing. Tierney will be injured. Cedric won't even get a game. It'll be Chambers and Chaka. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I did not see this coming. Uh, not many did. Uh, look, oh. the West Ham game is interesting too because we had Tierney. Uh, we had Chambers on the right, and he played kind of a conservative role yep. and bombed forward as we bombed forward. And I think I almost think these games, there's like a trigger point. I think that's what's going on with Ceballos here. That's what the coaching is. It's when this happens... You bomb forward. Um, that's why we see him in these advanced positions. I, I, I know we're talking about Chaka here, but I think you first thing we've got to do is understand what's happening up the pitch. If you imagine there are two pockets that your two that your Silva and De Bruyne might pop into up the field. Well, we don't care who the names are. It could be Saka rotating into the pocket on the right or Smith Row. It could be Lacazette. Um uh, and in this game, it's Sabias a lot because he can, because of our opposition, right? You're not going to do this against City or Liverpool. Sabias is not going to bomb forward all all game long to be that extra pocket. It's probably going to be Lacazette. Uh, and I think the, the Chaka discussion works the same way. You're not going to play him at left back against lots of teams. Teams that could tear you a new one down his wing, you're not going to do that. Um, there are, t- on the other hand, there are plenty of teams where we're we're going to need a two-man screen in midfield, and Sabias and Party is not necessarily the perfect opposition against that. Um, look, Party's probably a worldie; he can do everything. So the first thing you do is you put him on the pitch, and you say, "Who are we playing? Who do we need beside him?" And it'll be really interesting to see how 
Chaka's career at Arsenal progresses because we keep putting ceilings on him. And you could say he keeps responding, especially with Party there, because Party can do stuff that Chaka can't. Uh, but they find their own balance. And like, who would have said that? What? Well, some would have said that Party and Sabayas would play like this. Uh, but then I think we thought it wasn't going to work when we saw them together, and then we start seeing it work now, where uh, Party allows Sabayas to be freed up as a more attacking uh, midfielder. He's ba- again, he's a slider to me. He's he's almost a barometer of how the game's going at that particular point. If if we got them back on their heels, why would Sabayas sit back? He'll get up onto the edge of the box. And I think there are games when we can do that. There'll be games when Chaka play on the left. Um, but it does give us interesting, you know, it's not just a, we need a guy to sit there. There are interesting options that come up when Chaka is truly your left back. Cause he had, now he has the whole left wing without having people populating it ahead of him to, to fizz those up there. And he, you know, switch and play is a great way of, of getting at your, Opponent, especially when you got Smith Rosaka, and like uh, Chambers has turned into Cafu. Every ball in there is probes that def- that defense, and uh, like he's got a great highlights video from this. So uh, we've got options. I don't it's know if funny, that right? Because the question. Neither of us would say, "Hey, the future at fullback is Shaq on the left and Chambers on the right." Yeah. But what this innovation, this sort of tactical tweak does is really frees up the talent that we have, the superior talent that we have to go enjoy itself a little more. And, you know, I kind of wonder, I I hate to lay it at his feet, but I do wonder if Cedric doesn't make such a fucking mess of the clearance in the first leg of the Slavia Prague game. Do we see this innovation or does he just continue at left back? I don't think so. I think, I think the manager decided that part of the issue with Cedric was he was a righty right footer on the left. And that's where that problem came from. And he said, I'm going to put a natural left footer over there. I mean, we've seen that's a consistent theme with him. I I do think that this setup, just to be fair, I like, I think a really good team is going to look at chambers and Shaka on the edges and say, we can target that or look at party a little bit isolated in midfield and say, we can target that. I'm a little less worried about targeting party and a little more worried about targeting our, our outside defenders sure. with, with pace and dribbling. And, and look, Arteta obviously proving himself an exceptional coach will pivot when he needs to, depending on the, you know, the, the threat that's posed by the opposition. Clive, I am curious. I mean, do you think a couple things for you, but just first quickly, do you think that given that Tierney is probably out for the season, that this is the approach he will take going forward, that he will drill into this, try to hone this, try to get this to be as good as this can be going into the, the Villarreal tie and that we will we will see a system more like this with however you want to call it, whatever numbers you want to use for it, that this kind of back four that sits back a little bit and, and the extra the extra player in the attacking third. Um I I I have a theory which I've discussed. <laughs> mm. uh, I don't think Shaka will stay here too much longer. Um, I think he's doing it brilliantly, and I love I love the physicality S- of sorry, that back line. Sorry, can I just clarify? When you say too much longer, do you mean like he'll go at the end of the season, or do you mean game wise, not too much? longer? No, I mean the left back role. Sorry, okay, I, I don't think we're doing that too much longer. <laughs> I think um, I just I just think eventually we'll get looked at and we'll 
we'll, we'll stick a winger on wide and keep them wide against us. You know, two wingers wide and say, okay, we'll test their back four. We'll test their speed. We'll test their bravery to leave, you know, almost play like a four, six. You know, we'll test them out. And, you know, I just got my mind on, you know, I'm projecting way too much, got my mind on Rashford in a Europa League final. I'm thinking, where would he stand? Right. So I think there will be a change, but that that's all right. I, this is just evolution of tactics and it's what you want. You want that evolution to happen within the same system. And that, I think you're absolutely right, Elliot, by saying how we defend, we don't empty holes in defence, has allowed more freedom to the front end of the pitch. And they look dynamite because they're not looking over their shoulder. So, yeah, cause I just you, know, you notice just, something, it's, Clive, like what have we been saying about Aubameyang? Like, my, my goodness, he's spending half the time, you know, protecting the outside of his fullback in his defensive third. Pepe didn't have to do that at all, you know, no. in this system. It's, it's interesting where we can go from two games with Liverpool and, and Slavia first leg where they really shook our confidence in, in the club and our direction where we're going because we felt that it was so poor, not just the performance of players, but how we set up and the lack of balance. And and we felt we'd left this behind. We were so disappointed that we started to look at the reasons why this could be happening, even down to the conspiracy theories around the relationship with the manager, etc., and then he just flipped it. And all those conspiracy theories, the Gary Neville comments and all the rest, they look ridiculous right now, don't they? They look absolutely ridiculous when you see the the unity, what the team did before the game, how they approached it, how they recognised that there was, a, there was a flat track bully free one on and just flooded them to death. Um, it was just brilliant how they filled in for each other. And I'm just enjoying the evolution of it all. And looking forward, we're talking about these players and we're talking about um, Smith-Rowe and Saka and their versatility. And I'm just looking forward and thinking, well, you know what, William, you, you don't fit this lot. But there's a guy at Norwich that's really nice, left foot, right foot, can carry. You know what I mean? And you're thinking, oh, I'd like him, you know, in that group. I look at the City group with, um, you know, Ferran Torres, with Sterling, with Bernardo, Kevin De Bruyne, all these players, you try to fix, if I ask you where do they play Foden, they can play multiple places. Yeah. Brian Torres left and right, Foden left and right and inside. We're developing a group like that. I want to add one more into that group because then, Elliot, then we can do what we bleeding well like. We can change systems. We can, we can, we can overload people. We can press up. We can sit deep. We can spring. We're developing a squad that can deal with a sunny day and a rainy day. Nothing's in the, we're not hiding people who can't run. We're not hiding people who only got one foot. It takes them 15 minutes to get it on it. We're not, we're not dealing with that anymore. We're, we're letting our talent go. Multiple attributes for multiple positions. Don't worry about picking first 11s FIFA style. It will sort itself out. I resemble it that remark. Itself, <laughs> <laughs> you gave it to me. Uh, it will sort itself out. It really will. It will sort itself out. The key is the talent and the attributes and the balance. And we can sit back there on any given day and go, what's he going to do today? Mm. And enjoy it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I can't wait for that day. I'm, I'm, we're about four signings away. That's another and, pod. And I, think <laughs> I can't all we wait do, for it. Look, as fans, we want to see the players we regard as the best players on the pitch. And we want to see players put in positions where they can thrive. And uh, it isn't FIFA. I grant you that. Although... Sometimes there's something to be said for why things work in FIFA because you're putting on the players who are better. You know, I don't think it makes the fans petulant, you know, 
jerks that they don't want to see Willie in on the pitch because they can see it's not working. You know, I mean, are the fans always right? No, we're quite often wrong. And and also, we should remark that these two games have come against the bottom side in the Premier League and a pretty bad European side. But, you know, I, I want to emphasize that to get to the next level, this team has to consistently beat the bad teams. Like that, that's, you know, it's funny, right? We we always want to hand wave and dismiss performances that come against the weak teams. But it's our failure to be consistent against the weak teams that's why we're not in the Champions League anymore. You know, Arsene Wenger, I've said this before, but he repeatedly got us into the top four with the worst record against the top four because he had a team that knew how to take 17, 18, 20 shots a game, create a lot of chances, and batter the poor time, uh, poor sides. And if that's what we build first, that's a good first step. You can not only get top four, you can win leagues beating up on the bad teams. So I'm here for it. Um, and, and I'm not going to dismiss it just because it came against weak opposition. Uh, Paul, real quick, uh, rejoinder to that before we, we get on to another performance that I think is pretty important. Yeah, not so much a rejoinder. It's just as you guys were chatting, I kind of, I got this sense that uh, what maybe what Arteta has learned in the last couple of weeks when Odegaard was taken away from him and he tried other things, that's kind of what I meant by the stumbling, um, is that he's learned to trust the players. I'm sure he came into this job with very clear plans and strategies of how he was going to make it all work. And like, I'm, I'm an Arteta fan. I think he is a really good coach and will become a great coach, but time will tell. But I think what he may have learned is that Arsene Wenger wasn't all wrong. Sometimes you let your guys up front, you, you put them out there, you tell them where to line up, and then you say, go guys. We'll, we'll, the classic, get it into the final third. Get Sabayas up there to join them. People with talent in the right places. He he kind of, he's let go a little bit to say, all right, when you guys get up there, weave your patterns because they've kind of, they've shown. He gave them a, you give them a little rope and they did stuff with it over the last few games. Uh, now, I could be getting way ahead of myself, but I f- kind of feel he's gotten away from being as prescriptive about who does what in the final third. Not that it's a free-for-all, but I kind of get a sense he's just letting them do their shit up front. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, and it's not just it's not just Arsene Wenger football, right? I mean, like, he comes from sure, Manchester sure. City, yeah. and he sat next to Pep Guardiola and watched them play high-wire football with no net. You yeah. know, they, they used, uh, well, now it's, what, Hernandez, right? Um, yeah. Silva and Gundogan, or maybe it's Hernandez, I mean, it's... Um, usually going to be uh, De Bruyne and and Bernardo Silva. I mean, they don't use a striker now, so it all gets confusing. But it's one guy patrolling central midfield, and then those eights, now it's like five eights <laughs> instead of a strike or anything. But that leads me to the next point, Tim, which is, you know, Lacazette's doing a hell of a Manchester City style, we don't play with a striker, striker performance right now. Like he's, we're, we're an hour into this podcast, and we're only getting to the guy now who scored the brace, and, the glue. And could, yeah, could yeah. easily be the man of the match. The glue who holds this formation together. The guy who seems to have a really exceptional understanding of where to be to connect. He has a really complicated role because in a way, he has to be the the third point of the left-sided triangle with Pepe and Ceballos. 
He also has to get into the box and score goals and be a striker and create a presence there and try to get in behind, which he did on a number of occasions. He wins. He scores a penalty, which, you know, so what? He's great at that. Great. But he's right on the penalty spot for a pullback from Pepe, rolls the ball onto his left and smashes it in at the near post. Like, he he had the all-around game, and it reminds me a little bit more of his, his West Ham game. And, and to be fair, I, look, it's always hard, Tim, to to avoid being inconsistent in your analysis when you have a player you favor over another. I've always liked Aubameyang a little more than Lacazette. And so with Aubameyang, when I analyze him, I say, as long as he's getting into positions to score goals, you got to play him. But to be fair to Lacazette, he has been too. And mm-hmm. all right, he had a nightmare finishing-wise in the derby, but he was in great positions. He had a nightmare finishing-wise against Slavia Prague in the first leg, but he's in great positions. And he's come good in a few games against West Ham, against Sheffield United, and again against Slavia Prague. And I, I definitely think that whatever you want to say this tactical system is, Lacazette has embraced it and he's thriving in it. Yeah, absolutely. It it does make you wonder in an alternate universe um, whether we did invest in the wrong striker. And uh, the only reason I say that is, uh, you know, like you, Elliot, I I have a preference for Aubameyang. I think he's a better player, a better goal scorer. Um, And a a more normal season for Aubameyang, I think, still would have borne that out, even if Lacazette, like what's happened is Lacazette has posted the numbers around about the numbers he usually posts, which is somewhere in the 13 to 18 bracket. Mm -hmm. Um, And he he might well go beyond that. In fact, I think he probably will, depending on um, when Aubameyang comes back. And and what's happened is Aubameyang has has not had a great season in front of goal for multitude reasons. The the reason I say that is just because when you look at, you know, uh, Clive talking about there, about the, um, you know, the the number of options, it's where Arsenal have got quite a lot of talent is in those wide forward areas. And so they've got Pepe, they've got Martinelli, they've got Smith-Rowe who can play there. You know, hopefully we'll be able to hang on to Erdgaard um, as well. And and it just makes you wonder if actually a centre-forward that helps those wide... You, you know, I, I guess we've made the Lacazette or, or the Lacazette-Firmino comparison has been made many mm. times. And I don't think it's ever been entirely accurate, but... You know, it does make you wonder if we could have gone for more of that Liverpool model of Lacazette kind of, um, yeah, dropping deep, linking play, and then allowing players like Martinelli and Pepe to get in behind, uh, and Saka as well, because Saka's really developed that part of his game. So, certainly in this system, I think that absolutely works. I I can't I I can't remember who said it in the Discord, so apologies, but someone said that basically the four two three one is a Bamiang's formation because whatever else happens, it has a fixed presence up front, essentially, or or that's what it needs. And the three behind, they're the ones who do the rotating and the building and, and then the fullbacks come up and blah 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 and then you, you just sit the striker in the penalty area and that's a Bamiang. In this system it's it's Lacazette. Um, so I don't think Lacazette is as effective in the four-two-three-one, um, but you, I don't think you could. Re- I mean, you could play a Bamiyang in this system, but it would be much more. Yeah, you stay up there. It, it would move to much more of a four-two-three-one. Um, so yeah, so he's been he's been excellent because. But I do think, and and I don't want to like diminish his part in that because he's. He's played really well, and and I, I think even when he was playing badly this season, he's never given me the impression that he's not trying or anything like that. And you know, he was losing his place to Inketia at one point, but he's kind of fought his way back from that. So, full credit to him for that. But it, it's just that 
the team has taken a bit of a step towards him. It took a step away from him, I think, in that Liverpool game, for example, when um, with the front three we played together with Aubameyang and Pepe, didn't work. Took a step away from him against Slavia Prague because we put Willian in the same front three. Doesn't work. You can't have Lacazette and Willian in the same um, front three, I don't Mm. think. Whereas this is much more, this is much more about short, bump the ball off, connect, move around. There's a lot more freedom to move around, I think, in this system. So it's it's just, it's it's the same as it's always been. It's whoever we pick as the striker, let's pick the players around them that bring out the best in their attributes. So if you're picking a Bamiyang, pick guys who can get the ball in the box for you because that's what you want him for. If you're picking Lacazette, pick aggressive wide players or or even central players who will make that burst into the box. And, you know, you, you talked about him kind of picking up that penalty spot um, kind of angle again. And, and to Paul's point, what's happened in the last two games, every time we get the ball in the box, there's a line of four people there. And and that's when Lacazette can be much more effective in the box. He's not a Bamiyang. He can't find that piece of space when he's the only person there. But you put three or four runners next to him and he can pull away to that penalty spot or that front post very nicely, thank you. And And by the way, he's got great feet. In that situation, we saw that with his second goal, which reminded me a little bit of a goal he scored against Chelsea, mm. I think, at home. Um, I think it might have come from a corner where he, he controls it in a very crowded box. He's got very good feet um, in that scenario. And, and, and that's that's when we see the best of him, when we've got other aggressive runners and not just other aggressive runners, but other players for him to link with. So players like Smithrow or Ceballos who who come short and do that kind of almost like table hockey type football. Um, so he's, he's, he has been great the last couple of games. Uh, and, and that, but then he wasn't great for a couple of games before that. And so there are reasons for that. Yeah. You know, what's hard, Tim. I can sit here and say, Granite Shaka, has been legitimately exceptional over the last couple of months in terms of his availability and his form. And and I'm really uh, excited to see how well he has responded and how well he's played. And I can say that and still think we need better than Granite Shack. I can say that Lacazette has been fantastic, that we are lucky to have a player doing as well as he's doing right now in the form that he's in right now. Although, you know, we weren't saying that after the first leg. We weren't necessarily saying that after the derby. But like setting that aside... And still think that we not only could do better than Lacazette, but that we have a better player than Lacazette. And this is why it's so hard. Aubameyang, if I asked anybody in July who should start games that matter for us, Aubameyang or Lacazette, everyone would say Aubameyang. Aubameyang has had, by his standards, a bad season. Although I don't think as bad as some people think in the last few months. And Lacazette has had, by his standards, a bad start to the season, and he is now hitting form at the right time. And this is sort of a referendum on whether you value form or talent. I tend to be someone who is slow to come around based on form and have stickier opinions on talent. You know what I mean, Tim? Like, mm-hmm. like I, I think Lacazette is doing really well. I'd be crazy to deny it, and I'm, I'm thrilled for it. I can't get away from the fact that if we were in the Europa League final tomorrow and both players were fit, I'd still pick Aubameyang. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that makes sense. For me, again, it's just about who who you select with them. That that would be. I wouldn't answer that question without. Okay, so who who are the other players in the front three? Yeah, it, it's it's tough too because I. This also comes down to how much do you think you need Lacazette for a system to thrive? What will 
Clive, I mean, let me ask you that. Like, I don't think the distance between Lacazette and Aubameyang in terms of what they can do in building play is as great as some people think. I mean, I think we've reached the point of absurdity. We've reached the point of of hyperbole with the extent to which people act like Aubameyang is a brick wall where the ball bounces off his feet and all he can do is tap it in the net and Lacazette is, you know, a hybrid of, of Pirlo and Giroud. Like, I, I think Lacazette is better in buildup, but I don't know that I think the distance is as great as it's been portrayed. I, you'd be hard-pressed to drop Lacazette right now and it would be extremely um, harsh on him the way he's playing. For me, there's still one player in the team that's better than him at, at number nine. But do you think it is really more system-oriented than than I probably lean towards? Yeah, yeah, Tim's right, right? It's about balance. Uh, put Odegaard behind the Bamiyang and good luck trying to track them too. Mm. Right? It's just it's just a different thing. All it is, Elliot, I, I told some, you know me, you slightly disagree about tactics. My The emphasis on, by which I, way I look at the tactics is, is back to front. And you tend to go front to back, right? You tend to look at that end of the pitch more. Yeah. We could be saying exactly the same things, but the emphasis by which we describe things are slightly different, right? So the emphasis of Lacazette's game has got a higher ratio on build-up, continuity, and connection, right? Where the Bamiyang's game has got a higher emphasis on what I do around the box, my primary and secondary movement, my first move, my second move. You might stop my first run, but good luck stopping my second run. Do you see what I mean? It's based on athleticism, sprints over distances, arriving first in the box, picking people's pockets in the box. That goal against, was it Benfica? I'm not sure, Olympiacos on the back post header. I didn't want anyone else there but him to get that header in. Do you see what I mean? And when Saka mm. put that cross in, that's the value of the guy. It wasn't so long ago he was doing double steppers on the left-hand side and picking it in the top corner. It's all there, and we're going to love it when we see it again. It's just a different emphasis by which they play the position. Balogun seems to be a little bit closer to Lacazette from a build-up perspective, but he's got a bit of sprinting speed. So let's, let's enjoy and see which which way he develops. Is he going to be a tip of the, the arrow centre-forward, or is he going to be a connection centre-forward? It's going to be great to see. Lacazette is just that guy at the moment offering that glue role. And, and I know Tim's going to agree with this. That, that's By the way, that's literally what Arteta said. Uh, well, f- finish it off, because Arteta, Arteta literally used the word glue. He, he's, he yeah, really said, glues the team night, together. Quote, yeah. <laughs> I said that last night. I said yeah. the glue role last night. I actually said that parting him are the glue down the central spine. You yeah. can draw a line. That's your glue. Right there. That's our centrality. And it's and he can do exactly that, because they've got this bloke called Smith Rose. He's like a hand grenade appearing everywhere on the pitch. You know, everywhere where Lacazette doesn't go, I'll tell you, I'll do that for you. Do you see what I mean? Don't worry about it. Bang, off he goes. Do you see what I mean? So it's all about the balance. With Pepe there sprinting in behind on first balls from Mary. We're not looking at Lacazette for this. Suddenly he's just jogging around the same metronomic pace, helping everybody out from the first pass and connecting and carrying around the corner and setting people off. It's really nice. It's just an it's just another evolution of how we play. And I'm not in my heart, I I think the ceiling is higher with Abamyang. But at the moment we can't remember the best Abamyang. And so it's a debate in our own minds. Do you see what I mean? Abamyang, like any footballer, need to come along and seize opportunity. I was not one of those thinking 
Callan Chambers could literally be our first choice right back. No, we weren't saying that. None of saying that a month ago. And here he is now. We're thinking, crikey, if we had to sell one of you know, Bellerin, Cedric, and Chambers, I'm thinking, I hope it ain't Chambers. Yeah. Well, can Can I make it's, one point about that though? Just real quick, Clive. Which is mm-hmm. this is the hardest thing to do. I think when you do like what we do, which is podcast after every single game, and the hardest thing yeah. to do as fans in general, which is how do you balance the clear signals you're getting from the most recent performances in form against what you firmly believe in terms of talent, right? That That is so hard, Clyde, because like someone can play well for three games, but that doesn't mean they're more talented than like, granted, Shaq has been great at left back the last two games. He's not Kieran Tierney. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, and granted, they're playing the role totally differently. I get it. But you see my point, right? Like, let's say Marrow and Shamak was the one who put in these last couple of Lacazette performances. Would you start Marrow and Shamak ahead of Aubameyang? No, because you'd say, well, Aubameyang's just much better than Marrow and Shamak, and we know that. Lacazette is a lot closer in talent to Aubameyang, which makes it a, a muddier situation. The irony, of course, being the last time we saw Aubameyang on the pitch, what was he doing? Holding up the ball and setting up Pepe with a through ball to score a very important yeah. goal in the Europa League. So it's just kind of ironic, that's all. Yeah, our memories are short. I mean, we've forgotten the Bamiyang. Yes. Yep. He'll, he'll come back in our minds really, really quickly. And and he will decide things by what he does on the pitch. And if you're the manager, you have a quiet little smile to yourself because you're thinking, yeah, he's going to come back firing. And when he's firing, he's a very, very good player. I use Chambers as an example a lot, really, because I've, you know, gone to and fro on him. And I always ask myself a question, why is that? And... And I think it's just it's just the game and the opponents and how we play. Um, I don't believe he's a centre-half. I think he's a right-back or centre-mid, actually. And he's a right-back in the style that we're playing, in almost a 3-3-4 at the moment. And he fits that role beautifully. He set up the Saka shot, but it was a bit of work he did beforehand. He flicked it inside and left for the first time. And you know, I've been talking about that sort of all-court fullback. It's got more layers to his game. I just think, suddenly, you think, well, you know what, you're the best at that. He offer a bit of height and physicality, but the day he gets run past like Mane does or Salah does, I may revert my opinion. So you have to ask yourself, what are we looking for in that role? What are we looking for? And I think he offers a lot. Do I want it to be first choice? I don't, because I think the ceiling, I think we need to go up a bit. Do you see what I mean? Up the league. We're sitting there in ninth, so we need to go up a bit. But he becomes a very useful player. Very useful player. If you see, if you look at four players, you've got Cedric, you've got Holding, you've got Bellerin, you've got Chambers. Of those four players, you've got a, one that plays both sides fullback. Right back slightly better than in Cedric. Left back, we've seen we've seen the end of that. Right? So you've got Bellerin that maybe come to the end of his time at the club. Just natural, natural end of time. You've got Holding, you're looking at Holding, you're looking at, think, okay, you're, you're, you're not bad, but you're very one position. And you've got Chambers, who's multi-position, hasn't got a contract, running around like a blue-ass fly. But you know what? He's done a real good job at right back. Now, it's become about your asset value to the squad. Now, if two of those go and two of those stay, it might be Chambers and Holding that stay. You know, it can easily happen, and that's what should happen. It should be done by how you play and your value to the squad as a whole. And I think, and it's difficult, right? When we see players crumble, but actually... You got to just make sure that we deploy them in the right way. I think overuse of talent is a big thing for me at the moment. Making sure you deploy people in the right game, and I think Arteta's done that with Chambers recently. The games he's picked him have been the right games for him. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paul, I don't want to shut you out of this. And then we have one more thing before we get out of here. But it is the challenge of, a, of an unbalanced squad, right, that confronts us in this situation. I mean, a, a squad that's built in a really sort of smart, careful way, you don't wind up in as many of these debates. And the debates usually get settled because like one young Tyro comes in and enforces him, imposes himself on the squad and forces his way into the lineup in the way that Saka has. Um, you know, there aren't a lot of teams that have players that are similar in price, similar in caliber, sort of, depending on your opinion, at center forward um, to where you wind up in these debates. But I, I will not dispute that Lacazette can play the number nine role in a different way than Aubameyang can. Obviously, we've set our stall out in terms of where our future is in that position with the, the contract we gave out. So I think that has sort of a bearing on it. Um, you know, I, and everybody knows my opinion of, of Aubameyang playing on the left. And I, I like to think that we've maybe graduated away from that, that we've moved to a period now where it is a straight choice for Arteta between Lacazette and Aubameyang. Is that really the key for you? Whichever one he picks, it has to be a straight choice. I think where I come down on this is, I used to get annoyed when he picked Lacazette over Aubameyang. Lacazette has played well enough now that I, I, even I have to hold my hand up and concede. If he gets picked, he's probably earned it. What I want to see is that we're picking one or the other and not trying to get them both in. Yeah, I think that's right. I think through to, like, in the summer, they got to make some decisions. I don't think it makes a lot of sense, much as they're best buddies and it's all lovely. That Did you are... see the A that they made? The, uh, I think it was no. Pep, was it so Pepe and Lacazette maybe uh, after Lacazette yeah. scores his is it the penalty or the second goal he holds his hand straight up in the air and, and someone comes over and makes an A with their second arm in their goal. Own, second goal yeah it's so with they, Pepe as well yeah, yeah it's yeah. with Pepe yeah they make an A yeah. in honor of Aubameyang so I mean obviously the camaraderie whatever we think from outside the, the yeah. club in terms of the disruptions or the, the upheaval that there might be there there's clearly quite a quite a strong feeling for that player within the club yeah and like it's a testament to all three of them. I mean, Aubameyang's gone through a tough time right now. Uh, Lacazette's had his time. In fact, most of his time at Arsenal has been a tough time. It's a fair uh, point. <laughs> you know, you're the striker for six months, and then this Aubameyang fella's shown up. And they should not have got on, but they did. Um, and, you know, Pepe's been, he's been getting pelters for forever like just the poster child of everything that's wrong kind of thing. Um, and they've seen themselves through it, and they, by and large, show up and perform. I think that we see uh, Lacazette does better with this kind of uh, the four, four attackers weaving among themselves, and it's not quite who Aubameyang is. Um, and Aubameyang when he's going through the middle, uh, tends to like to run into the channels. Yes, he can do a bit of link-up play, but I don't think anybody would say that's his strong suit. I think you probably would say it about Lacazette. Um, and Lacazette right now is in form. And I think more than anything, his timing of the runs, his making the runs, you know, he'll he'll drop a little bit, but he's, he, he's rarely dropping into midfield. That used to be when we couldn't get the toothpaste up the tube. Sorry, everybody. Um <laughs> Now it's right, you know, it's where we left it only the night before when we brushed our teeth. So it's all the way up there. And uh, he doesn't need to do that at the moment. And like he's, he'll make a little drop and then he'll be right back in and he might be the deepest guy into the box. And I just think his confidence is there. His form is there. His timing of runs. 
you know, I know you, you, you do a bit of a Cavani, uh, Aubameyang comparison. I mean, um, you can also do a Lacazette Cavani comparison too right at the moment because, like, neither of them is the fastest player on the pa- planet. But every time you look around, the fucker's right there on the edge of the six-yard box somehow, yeah. even though wasn't he the guy who dropped in, had a quick touch, and then bombed forward? Um, so he's, like, a player who's in form is clearly a different animal to a player who isn't. And I think we got to see our our way through to the summer, make a decision on what we do going forward. But between now and then, I think players want us to win and to qualify. And they'll under, Lacazette and Aubameyang will understand if one of them starts yeah. one game and the other one starts the other because we got to win stuff. And and I think that's the key. It's one or the other. Um, Tim, I want to finish with one quick thing. But I'll just say this. My, my brain makes my life very difficult sometimes. I, I struggle with this whole so-and-so is in form thing. And I worry about making decisions based on that only because like – you're in form until you're not, and then you're out of form until you are. Because we would have said Lacazette is badly out of form after the Slavia Prague first leg, and then he is in form after the Sheffield United game. We would have said he's out of form after the Derby in some respects, and then in form after the West Ham game. Like it, it is. So I did think we had a misread on him in the Prague game. He and was, you're probably he right. Do, he was in the he just didn't finish the stuff. Yeah. He he was doing all the stuff no, he did in this right. game. You were proven right. And to be fair. That's always been my analysis before, so I should extend it to him, which is if you're getting big chances, keep playing the guy. Um, Tim, last thing. I yeah. I have a bit of a man crush on Gabrielle Martinelli. And it's it's crazy to think he could be the most talented young player we have because you say, well, no, it's clearly Bukayo Saka. No, it's clearly Emil Smith-Rowe. No, it's you know we, we got quite a few at the moment, and we're very lucky in that respect. But there is something about what this guy does when he's on the pitch his directness, his desire to do whatever it takes to score a goal or create a goal. I mean, he is, he really is the kind of player, like when he started that Chelsea game, after everything we'd been through, and granted, Smith-Rowe was a big part of that too, but after everything we'd been through, um, you know, in our, our sort of nadir leading up to that, just the way he injects the whole team with a sort of energy and a presence up the pitch is unique. And he almost scores really a sensational solo goal in this game. I I feel that we have missed an opportunity this season, in part because of Willian being a thing, to, to get him yeah. more more into the team. And to be fair, he's come back from a very long injury. So maybe the club has done exactly what it should have. I put out one of my typical snarky tweets that was totally wrong and shouldn't have done it, and I deserve to be slapped on the wrist as usual for it, after the Chelsea game saying, well, Martinelli's back from injury. Let's see if we play him back into another one. I can't exactly turn around and say, oh, no, we're not playing Martinelli. You know, it's one way or the other. Yeah, I think yeah. the club has done a brilliant job just sort of nursing him back, bringing him back. But, Tim, the way he looks right now, we should probably use the opportunities we have in the league the rest of the season to find him more playing time now, right? I mean, if he's yep. if he's not going to be starting the big games, you know, the Villarreal tie and then hopefully a Europa League final, he can certainly start a game like Fulham on the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. He should absolutely start that game. Um, I, I agree with you in terms of it, it's a weird one, isn't it, really? When you look at our, our three absolutely stellar young talents in Saka, Smithrow and, and Martinelli and who's got the highest ceiling, um, if you're inclined to have that debate with yourself and believe it matters. But but Martinelli's just Martinelli's just one of those players who would fit into any team because of the way he is. 
Um, it's not as kind of, I'm not saying Smith-Rowe and Saka are, are system-dependent play, players per se, but Martinelli is just one of those players. He's going to do what he's going to do. So just put him on the pitch and let him do it kind of thing. Um, and, you know, he, he makes a lot of sense when you understand how much he idolizes Cristiano Ronaldo as a player because he's got that kind of, you know, give me the ball and I want to get to the goal as quickly as possible. If that means me shooting early, if it means me taking a couple of players on and shooting, I am making a beeline towards the goal all the time. And by the way, even when I haven't got the ball, I'm going to be running towards you. I'm going to be running towards the guy who's like closest to the goal. I'm, I'm going to try and force a turnover. And um, what, what I like about him is he doesn't care how it looks. And this is what like he's got... Um, He's not interested in aesthetics at all, which is why I think people underrate him as a dribbler because he's he's a bit of a scrappy dribbler. Um, he, he's, he is a real like head down, push, run. I'm getting to the goal. And I think as he gets stronger and more confident in his body as well, that is going to like that is really going to pop a bit like we saw with Alexis, you know, when Alexis picked the ball up and you just saw that right. I'm going towards the goal. I'm going towards the edge of the area. I don't care if you try to get in my way. <laughs> I will swat you out. I will dribble around you. I will do whatever is necessary to get around you. And and I really think I really think we'll see that more and more in Martinelli. But he's just one of those players that um, I think you can, you know, we're talking about systems here. You can drop him into any system, any performance, because he just does what he does. And uh, the, the times he's really stuck out really are, are when perhaps the team isn't playing well because he is a guy who just keeps doing what he's doing all the time. And uh, I, I completely agree in, in terms of giving him minutes. I'm completely relaxed about you know him playing every minute of every game. I'm, I'm not suggesting that at the moment. Pepe's playing really well. Saka's playing really well. So, you know, but, but there is definitely room um, for the rest of the Premier League season. I just, you know, I don't want to make this like, personal about Willian or anything like th- that just hasn't worked and those minutes that has to stop now those minutes have to go to Martinelli we are in a very clear distinct period of the season where we have a very clear priority and we can use the Premier League games to give minutes to someone like Martinelli get him more um, you know get him more absorbed into this team and he is he is better than Willian already okay so it's not you, you're not it's not even like short-term pain for long-term gain. He's a very different type of player, but he's still better. So play him. Yeah, you know, you know what's interesting too? He, he's a great example of my point I was making where form and style and tactics at some point stop mattering when talent comes into it. Like whatever you think William does and lets us do tactically, Martinelli's just so much better than him that it doesn't matter. Like I yeah. don't know what system you think you're playing and what role you think you're giving William but just give the role to Martinelli instead. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, I was going to finish with actually, and, and, you know, Paul's in our kind of back channel, Paul's kind of talking about Sterling and how, you know, he was kind of polished a little bit by Manchester city. And, and I think that's a, that's a really good comparison, but actually the player I was thinking of was, was Foden, um, not in terms of the type of player, but you know, like city held Foden back, they held him back and they held him back. They didn't put him out on loan. It was very much more about, no, no, I'm going to teach you to play pep football. And when you're ready to play pep football, then you're really ready. And I, I kind of, 
think that something like that is probably going on with Martinelli as well. It's just like, just just stay here a bit. Let me polish some of those rough edges mm-hmm. off you and you've got a big future here. The only difference but, being that when you're doing that and the guys who are playing are Sterling and yes. Mares and Gabriel <laughs> Jesus and Cunaguero, okay, fine. But when the guys are playing are, you know, Willian, it's a lot harder to, to tolerate. And I realize we, we, we beat up on Willian a bit. It's not his fault that the club signed a, a past his best Chelsea retiree for big money, but the club now has to has to reverse course on that and start doing what's right for the club. I think I think Martinelli has a big future at whatever role we want to give him. We just have to give him opportunities. So you it's have very to exciting. That yep. When the club signed William, I'm not trying to defend the club, but Smith Rowe and Martinelli were not fit. They were not options. And so there's a different problem statement. That Can I when ask you something about William, that, Clive? Mm-hmm? Could, I've always been curious about this. If you want a short-term fix, I think this club is way too enamored with short-term fixes personally. Can you... Is I've always been curious why we didn't just use Mkhitaryan, who we owned, and who was going to be on an expiring contract, instead of going to get William, putting him on a long-term deal, other than agent Tom Foolery. Like... I, I hate to relitigate this, but if you want to do that, Clive, if you want to bridge the gap to players being more available, couldn't you use the guy we actually already had? <laughs> yeah, but I think uh, with the player been on loan, he liked it at Roma and he wanted to go and they yeah, worked out a deal yeah. to let him go. Yeah. It's just life, right? The things have moved on. I think the real indication will be how we move out of it or do we continually try to make it work? And I hope we realize, you know what, these talents are too hard. They, they can't be stopped. I need to create room for them. And that's what we need to do. Well, we Can I create, say yep, one thing? I would love it if you would, please. Good. Remember when we uh, thought Mkhitaryan was garbage? Did we think that? Yep. We did? We did. Um, I think we thought he was now, a little sloppy. I know there are individuals who made, had a different view, but we basically had written him off as not doing anything for us. Now, Willian has never really gotten out of that slot with us, so that's not a good sign. But we're we're basically, you know, we're judging the worst Willian. And I'm not here to change anybody's view on that. I'm just saying he's had a few moments where he looked like he might actually be able to play football. But but I think it's a bit of a Mkhitaryan in that we've settled into he's just no good anymore. And Mkhitaryan, it turned out, was still good. And I don't think Willian, I, I don't know on Willian. Uh, and to clarify my earlier comments, by the way, I think Pepe was great in this. I just think that the magic was our combinations on the right. Look, Pepe was absolutely great. He would have been my stock rising. I thought he was phenomenal in this. But the magic, the the engine of, of this creativity was on the right. Um, I agree with that. I, I, and I think with Willian, you know, it's just... he. He hasn't really kicked in for us yet. I don't. Th- I guess my point is, I don't think this is the full measure of what he provides. And I understand why they want to tinkle with Martinelli in their garage because their ceiling for what they're trying to do with him, it, my little theory is, it might be a lot more like Sterling, where you take him out of the firing line. He's a guy that if you put him on the pitch, he's going to do what he always does. It's kind of Tim's point, and that's not what they want. They think he can be so much more. Yeah. I would just so they take him out of the firing line. They don't give him the minutes because if you you can practice with him in the evenings with him, and then you put him on that pitch straight away, and he's going to do what Martinelli has always done, and that's the problem. I think that's why they took him out of the firing line. Yeah. Look, again, I think you can always find the explanations that make sense, 
and that that one totally does. I think we've reached a point though with the Williams situation where you say, and again, let's wrap it up, but yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it is the point that this club has a lot of talent on the wings yep. that needs minutes. And mm-hmm. even if William isn't as bad as the sort of uh, stereotyping of him has become, the other players who need minutes are a bigger priority to the club strategically. Is, is yep. where I fall on that. Yeah, yep. um, okay, well, look, that, this is this is going to be fun because I think Sunday could be interesting. Um, a little bit of rotation, maybe a chance to see uh, additional minutes for younger players. And and I do think Martinelli might start. And then it's a matchup with Unai Emery. And I mean, you know, it's funny. We had a motivated team that took a knee right in the face of Slavia Prague and then, you know, literally kicked them out of the competition as they kicked the racism out of the competition. I think you're also going to see a motivation from these players. If it is true that they didn't particularly love playing for Unai Emery or maybe have some reservations about Unai Emery, well, now they get a chance up close and personal to show him that they are better than what they were under him. Um, You know, and it's such a weird thing because we haven't really done this in recent memory, you know, play a former manager in in a big competition. The only really interesting thing, guys, it's sort of a shame that there'll be no fans in the stands. It would be very interesting... To, uh, Tim, I'll just ask you before we get out of here because you'd be there. What do you what do you think the prevailing reaction would, would there be? Sort of like a swallow your pride and clap him because he's the former Arsenal manager. Would would there be booze? What, what do you think the the reception uh, would be? I don't think that there would be booze. Although Bakary Sanya got booed, and um, that's crazy. That, that to me was <laughs> fucking insane. Who are you people? Um, but but I, I think there'd maybe be like a smatter of, of of applause, but maybe more out of you know we don't want to boo him. We're not going to give him standing ovation, and you know it's not going to be silent, is it? I, I think there'd just be like a polite smattering of applause. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know. Hopefully there'll be a polite smattering of applause as we uh, clap them off the pitch in their 10-0 drubbing. So that'd be fine. All right. Uh, Fulham at the weekend. Instant reaction after that. Full podcast on Monday. Plenty of stuff next week. We actually play Friday next week. So another chance for a pre-match live stream, perhaps. That could be fun. And then uh, the semifinals await. So plenty of good things ahead. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. We love you. Oh, wait. No. Tim's on Twitter. Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> my pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter. Clive BFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter. Paul's in my pants. Thanks, Paul's. Woo-hoo. My name is Elliot Smith. Think about me on Twitter. Yang Gunner, you know all this anyway. We love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Full of notes.